Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning, or with you this morning. I'm uh, sorry I can't be there in person. Uh, maybe, hopefully, sooner than later, uh, I can join you for a, a Sunday morning live and in person one of these days. These have been unusual times, haven't they? This is an unusual season that we have been through as a country, as a world, and and as a church. I don't have to tell you that. Um, But one of the things I've noticed during this time, even as maybe hopefully we're coming out of it, is that there has been some unrest in the church. There has been some unease in the church. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And maybe this unrest specifically hasn't been in your church, but I'm hoping what we talk about this morning uh, will be a good reminder for all of us. During this season, there has been a lot of talk about what it means to love God, a lot of talk about loving God, and it's often been connected with uh, an action. If you love God, you'll obey the rules. Uh, If we loved God, we wouldn't obey the rules. We'd continue to gather. If we loved God, we'd wear masks. If If we loved God, we wouldn't wear masks and we wouldn't live in fear. If we loved God, we'd get the vaccine. If we if we loved God, we wouldn't. We we would live by faith. There's been all of these arguments and and they've gone back and forth. And in many cases, in some churches, they've gotten quite ugly. In some in some places, they've gone online. Um, and, and things have been said on the internet to people who, who attend the same church we do, who, who are part of the same family we do. People have been called stupid for the opinions that they've held. People's faith has been questioned for the opinions that they've held. Um, all, all of that has happened. I've gotten notes from people saying, I, I don't know if I can go back to my church anymore. I'm not sure me and my opinion are welcome there. I'm not sure I want them back at my church because of the beliefs that they've held. So there's been lots of talk about what it means to love God, but what I've noticed and what gets forgotten is the loving people part of being a Christ follower. We have talked about loving God, but we haven't talked a lot about loving people. We've talked about loving God, but we haven't necessarily loved well while we've been having those conversations. People have been put down, people have been made to feel less than. Um, We haven't been very loving as we've talked about what it means to love God. We lost that. And I don't know that you can talk about loving God without loving people. Not just talking about loving people, but actually loving people in the process of talking about what it means to love God, loving people, even as we disagree on some opinions. And it's not just my opinion that we can't separate loving God and loving people. That comes from Jesus. He's the one who connected those two things. One time he was asked what the greatest commandment is, and you can read about this in Matthew chapter 22. uh, When he was asked about what the greatest commandment was, Jesus took hundreds of Jewish laws and he boiled them down to, to two. And he said these two couldn't be separated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all that you are and all that you have, and love people, all people the way that God loves them, the way that he would want you to love them, and the way that he's loved you. 
They go hand in hand. They can't be separated. And it doesn't sound optional when Jesus talks about it that way, that we can just pick one or the other. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus underlined this to his followers. In John chapter 13, he looked at, at his followers then, and through them, he looks at us now, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love each other. That's how people will know that you're my followers. That's how people will know that you belong to me. That's what should define you as part of my family, the way that you love each other. And again, when Jesus talks about it, it doesn't sound optional that one of the ways we show love to God, maybe one of the primary ways that we show love to God is by loving his people, all people, the way he does. Jesus would go even further on many occasions. He, he would say, well, this is how you show love to the father. You obey his commands. Loving God with all that we are and all that we have isn't just about knowing the right stuff. It's not about nodding along to good sentences that the preacher says. It's not even really about just believing the right things. Those things are fine. They're good. But scripture says that we show that we love God by obeying him, by doing what he says, by doing what Jesus said. And Jesus said, love people, all people. That was a big one for him. Even when uh, he was uh, commissioning the church to start, he was giving the, the early church its marching orders just before he was swept up into heaven in, in Acts chapter two. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, teaching them to love the way that I have loved you and the way that I've last asked you to love each other. So that's why I say that loving God and loving people go hand in hand and they, and they can't be separated. That was a Jesus idea. And Jesus followers are to show their love for God by loving all people with a sacrificial care for everyone, serving, foot washing, laying down your lives type of love. So then we can ask, well, okay, but did Jesus talk about what that might look like? Well, he did. He told what is a very familiar story to many of us, if you, if you grew up in church or if you've been hanging around church much at all. It's a very familiar story, and it's not a complete picture of what it means to love God and love people the way God wants us to, but it's a start, and it will get us going this morning. So if you have a Bible, and you should, uh, you should turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And as we go through this very familiar story that Jesus told, I, I understand that um, as we talk about this, the need that's presented in this piece of scripture is a physical need. But as we talk about people and their needs, we will also be talking about emotional and spiritual needs. So there's a physical need presented here. Let's understand that it represents an emotional and a physical need. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted, the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the, the story starts out that on this one occasion, 
Uh, so most likely what's happening in a story here is that Jesus is, is speaking to a crowd as he often did. And, and the way that worked back then is that people were free to get up and interact with the person speaking. They were free to ask questions and things like that. So this would not have been out of the ordinary. And this guy stands up, but we're told he's not just a guy, he's an expert in the law. And by law, this, the passage means Jewish religious law. So this is a theologian, possibly a religious leader or a teacher. And we're told that he's not just asking Jesus a question because he's curious or he's, he's interested in life change or heart change. His goal is to try and trap Jesus, to try and trip him up, to either make Jesus look foolish or to get Jesus to say something that will get him in further trouble with uh, the leaders of the day. Be that as it may, he asks a very important question. He says, what do I need to do in order to be right with God so that I can be with him now and forever? What do I need to do for eternal life? How do I get eternity with God? That's a hugely important question. And Jesus, instead of answering the man directly, says, well, you know the laws. What do they say? Jesus would often ask questions when asked a question. And I'm sure at this point, this religious leader uh, cleared his throat and he, he, he sat up a little straighter. And with a loud voice and, and great eloquence, he rattled off the great commandment that we referenced earlier. Love God with everything that you are and everything that you have and love all people the way God does. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting to note that this guy who's trying to trip Jesus up uses the very same answer Jesus had given to the group of people who asked him what the most important commandment was. He may have even heard Jesus say this and he was just repeating it back to him. Regardless, Jesus says, good answer, good job. So now that you know that, go and do it. Go love God and your neighbor like that. But our law expert continues to ask questions because again, he's not really interested in the life change part of what's going on here. He's trying to trip Jesus up. And so he says, okay, fine. If I'm supposed to do that, where are the lines? Where, where are the limits? What exactly do I have to do? Who exactly do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? And that's a very big question. Who exactly is my neighbor? And in some ways, we still ask that question today. Perhaps you've even caught yourself asking questions like that from time to time, maybe not with those words and, and probably not out loud. But it rolls through our mind, doesn't it? Where can I draw the line on this? love other people thing who do i have to love which is another way of asking well who who can i leave out what's the bare minimum that's required of me in order to make god happy or we ask it the the sort of the what if question what if they don't believe what i believe what if they don't vote like i vote what if i don't approve of how they choose to live their lives do i still have to love them and what does that mean and again, as I stated at the beginning, I'm afraid that as the church in general, we haven't been doing a very good job with this love people part lately. We haven't been doing a very good job with loving our brothers and sisters the way Jesus loves um, each other and those outside the church. Again, it showed up in how we've talked to each other in the things that we've said about each other, in how we've dismissed each other. 
So who do I have to love? And what does that look like? In answer to that, Jesus tells a story. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came, to, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in his, on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The road that Jesus talks about in this story would have been well known to his audience. It was a very notorious road and scenes like the mugging that Jesus described happened along that road all the time. So people would have been very familiar with this scenario that Jesus was painting. They could almost picture the guy laying there. They would also be familiar with the characters that Jesus spoke of who came by. There was this priest who came by first. He probably finished up doing whatever he was doing at the temple in Jerusalem. He could have been serving there or he could have been worshiping there. But now he's headed home, most likely, probably after being away for a couple days or more. And he sees the victim and he passes by. Why? Well, because stopping could cost the priest a great deal. It would at the very least interrupt his, his homecoming plans and, and complicate his life. He was busy enough. He didn't need the hassle. Uh, and it, would, it probably could be a great inconvenience. If the priest stopped and tried to help and the man died, priests of that day weren't supposed to touch dead bodies. So he would have to get home and he would have to go through this whole cleansing ritual. And so his homecoming and reuniting with the people he cared about and catching up on things and catching up on his to-do list, that would all have to wait if the guy died. So everything would be delayed. His plans would be put on hold. hold and, and the priest decided, oh, that's too much. It's too much hassle. It could cause too much trouble. It could be too inconvenient. And so he moved over to the other side of the road just to be safe. And then another religious leader came by. A Levite, we're told, came across this crime scene. And by telling the story, we get the impression uh, that maybe the Levite slowed down a little more than the priest did. He didn't pass by so quickly, but the Levite too scrolled through all the options and made his excuses and rationalized to himself, and he also moved on. We should note here that Jesus didn't say that these men were totally heartless. It doesn't say that they didn't think the victim deserved any help. They probably did, and maybe they even hoped that somebody would come by and help the poor guy. They just didn't think it should be them. They were too busy. They didn't need the hassle. They had their own stuff to worry about. And so into the story comes the hero, the one the crowd had been waiting for. And, and, and boy, were they in for a surprise. We call this story uh, the Good Samaritan. That's the little title in my Bible above this story, the Good Samaritan. Um, but to the Jewish people that were listening to Jesus talk that day, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. The hatred between those two people groups was deep. 
So here's a guy that in the audience's mind would have the best excuse of all. It wouldn't have surprised anyone if Jesus said he really, he really kept going and said, good, I'm glad that happened to him. After what his people have done to my people, I'm glad that he's laying there in pain. It wouldn't have surprised anyone. They thought maybe that's how they thought the story would go when they heard it was a Samaritan. But the character didn't say that. And the Samaritan didn't pass by. Instead, he feels compassion for the victim and he acted on that compassion. He cared for the man. He extended himself. There was a cost for the caring that he undertook. There was a good chance that the bandages that he made were formed from his own clothing. Certainly his schedule and plans got interrupted. It cost him some money. He spent his own money so that care of the victim could continue. The Samaritan served the victim by putting love and compassion into real and tangible action. And with that, the story ends but the lesson continues. Jesus masterfully illustrates three common attitudes we can have when it comes to in, in encountering people in need. The priest stands for all of those who do their best to avoid hurting people, to do their best to avoid people who are in need, who do all they can to keep their distance from other people, from those they perceive as needy, but also probably they just uh, sort of keep a lot of their relationships superficial. They don't really enter into the lives of other people. They keep everyone at arm's length so that they won't know about needs, so they don't have to do anything about it. They're the kind of people who show up at church, but they don't really dive in and engage. They keep their distance. They're simply viewers on a Sunday, not involved in an area of service or ministry and keeping their distance from any sort of relationship that would have them come face to face with any sort of real need. The Levite can stand for those who see the need and who may even be curious about how the need got there. Why is this the way it is when they're confronted, but they stay uninvolved? They're the people who slow down at accidents, but don't stop to help. They may wonder how the need got there. They may be curious about its cause. They may even feel bad for the people in need, but they never move from that feeling into any sort of real action. The Samaritan represents what a Jesus follower should be, a Jesus-like lover of people who is moved to compassion and turns that compassion into action. One who treats other people the way he or she would, would like to be treated. Um, more importantly, one who treats other people the way God would like them to be treated. And it's not just with words and a promise to, to pray the Samaritan is a server. He puts love into action. Jesus also in the story gives us the steps that go into being an effective server, a sort of how to love people the way Jesus does starter kit. Again, we have to be aware of the needs around us. We have to see the need before we can respond to it. And the only way that we can do that is to effectively slow down and engage in people's lives, engage in the world around us. I heard a quote that said that busyness, that being in a hurry is the death of kindness. With God's help, by putting his priorities first, by asking for him to help us see people the way he sees them and love people the way that he loves them, we need to learn to slow down enough and engage enough so that we encounter the needs of the people around us. Because they're there. And we've been asked to love people with needs. 
Of course, seeing the need is only the first step. In our story, all three passers-by saw the need. Then we need to be, after seeing the need, we need to be moved by compassion for the need that we've seen. And in some cases, that will mean asking God, again, to help us see people the way he sees them, to give us his heart so that we can love them, the one who disagrees with us, the one who doesn't hold all the same opinions that we hold. See, God cares about all people. God loves all people. And so we need to as well. And sometimes that means dropping some prejudices that can cause us, can cause our hearts to be cold. Sometimes we need to stop worrying about making assumptions about why people ended up where they ended up and how that need got there in the first place and just experience compassion for the need that they're experiencing and then act on that compassion rather than labeling the homeless woman as lazy or a substance abuser or using any of those labels that we sometimes use to, that keep us from acting. It would be more God honoring if we were moved by the situation that we see and did what we could do to help. We need to act. We need to seize on opportunities to put love and compassion into real tangible action. If the life of love if the life of a love God with everything follower is to be real, if God honoring love, uh, we need to understand that God honoring love isn't just something that we feel or it's not just something we say. God honoring love is something that you do so that real needs are met and so that people are pointed towards a God who loves them. And we need to be willing to spend to serve like this. Love in action costs. It will cost us our time. Sometimes it will cost us our money or our stuff. It will certainly cost us some energy and maybe even a little bit of our reputation. But that's the price that Jesus asks us to pay to love like he does. The question at the beginning of the story was, well, who do I need to love? Who do I need to serve? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers that anyone with a need is your neighbor. Anyone with a need is who you need to love. Anyone with a need is who you need to serve. And so that's everyone. But Jesus also challenges all of us by reminding us that it's not just a question of, of um, who we love that should matter to us. What we need to be concerned about is the heart issue of whether indeed we love people the way our father asks us to or not. Back to our text, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is a heart issue. It's a heart of surrender issue where we commit ourselves to being obedient to God, to loving the way he does, to loving people like he asks us to, because that's how we show our love for God. What do I have to do? Jesus says, I have to learn to love people and I have to be willing to put that love into action. The challenge for the legal expert of that day is the same challenge for us. Don't just agree that loving other people is a good idea. Go and do it. Love, serve, show God's love in real and tangible ways to people with needs, near and far. All people. So how do we love God with all that we have and how, all that we are? How do we love other people the way he asks us to? 
we serve. We are moved by compassion and we put that into action. The love God with all we are part means using what God has given us to love other people. Again, our money through generous giving or meeting a specific need, our stuff when called for, our time, not just turning up or tuning in for an hour on Sunday or gathering for an hour on Sunday, but ordering our lives around God and, and his priorities, which doesn't mean, by the way, that we go to seven prayer meetings instead of one or seven small groups instead of one. It means that we order our lives so that we have time and space and energy to love and serve people the way Jesus does. We need to give our ears to listen and our shoulders to cry on. That's what it means to love with all that we have. It also means actually serving, serving each other through the ministries of the church. When we're able to be back up and running things again, um, we need to make sure that we're serving each other and doing all we can to help people become more like Jesus. It means serving our community. And hopefully that's a priority in your church, that you're not just gathering to do stuff for each other, but you're actually looking for real and tangible ways to love your community and to point them towards God. Again, it's using our time and energy and our gifts and abilities to love people, to meet needs, and to point them towards a real God who really loves them and who longs to be a very real part of their very real lives. That's what we're asked to do. And I know what I just said kind of speaks to programs and groups and the church uh, as a body and all of that's important and we need to make sure that all of those things are priorities and, and that's all good. But we also need to make sure that, that this is a personal thing, not just an us collective thing, but a me thing. So that I'm looking to love the folks that God has placed around me, the folks, that I work with or go to school with or in my family or in my neighborhood, we are called to love all of them like God loves them and like he loves us and he does, he loves them even if they don't vote like we do or agree with us about vaccines or live the way that we think they should live. God loves them and so we are called to love them, which again means making time and being deliberate and slowing down enough to build real relationships where we can watch and listen for a chance to love them like Jesus would if he were standing there. And again, we'll all need to ask God for wisdom and patience and discernment so that we can love well, because we don't want to freak people out. But that's the call. Love people. That's how you love God. Another time, Jesus was speaking to a group of people and he was talking about how each person could experience deep satisfaction in life, experience it to the point where it, it overflowed out of their lives and it spilled onto the people around them. And, and, and other people could experience that kind of joy as well. And he said, you experience that kind of satisfaction. Um, you won't experience it. You will not experience that kind of satisfaction through pursuing self-gratification. And that was and is hard to hear because for lots of people, that's the game plan to follow. Looking out for myself to earn more or achieve more or experience more so that I will one day end up feeling happy and fulfilled. And Jesus said, yeah, that game plan doesn't work. It only leaves you empty. And then what? What good would it be if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? What good would it be if you got everything, but you still missed out on what was really important? So instead, Jesus suggested that a game plan for experiencing a life of joy to the point where it overflows uh, and, and spills out 
and affects the people around us, uh, the game plan would be to follow him, to pick up our cross and follow him, is what he said. Do what I do. Love like I love. Serve like I serve. Love with everything you have. Love all people in a way that honors God. Serve with everything you have and serve all people in a way that honors God. That's the call. That's the call for your church. That's the call for you and me because we're the church. Loving God means loving people, all people, the way he did. You've heard, now go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, this morning, thank you for your word, which stretches us and challenges us. As we bow before you today, our prayer is that you would help us to be servers, that you would help us be dedicated to meeting needs and touching lives for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. Help us be aware of the needs that exist around us. Give us your eyes to see people the way you see them. Enlarge our hearts. Help us to love people like you love them. Help us to be people of compassion. But help us to be people who take that compassion and turn it into real action. Give us the wisdom and the courage to act out of that compassion. Father, even this week, Help us to slow down and be sensitive to the people and the needs that you bring across our path. Help us to do this for your sake and for your glory. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.